0: Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park was a major box office success when it came out in 1993. Since that time, two sequels have appeared on the big screen, and a third is scheduled for release in 2015. The science fiction storyline is based on the idea of a billionaire's experiment in cloning dinosaurs from DNA and creating an amusement park in a tropical paradise filled with these amazing reptiles that once roamed the earth. Through the use of computer-generated imagery and life-sized animal recreations, known as animatronics, these monsters of the past come alive in ways that had never been equaled. Of course, not everything in the park goes as well as planned, when a major tropical storm comes through and destroys some of the safeguards designed to protect its visitors and all of this makes for interesting entertainment. Dinosaurs have always intrigued us. We've wondered about them ever since the first bones were dug out of the ground. We learned about these strange and fearsome creatures in science classes. We visit museums where their skeletons are reconstructed and on display, and we stand in awe at the size of some of them. Museum gift stores do a brisk business selling plastic replicas as children badger their parents for one to add to their collection. Scientists tell us dinosaurs roamed the earth during three geologic times, the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous periods. According to Encyclopedia.com, the Jurassic period is the second of the three divisions of the Mesozoic era the age of reptiles. The Jurassic lasted for 64 million years, from about 208 to 144 million years ago. All of this introduces a question and a controversy for those known as young earth creationists. These are people who sincerely believe the Bible says the earth and the entire universe is only 6,000 years old. Now if dinosaurs lived on earth millions of years ago, how do we square that with the Bible's creation account? And if dinosaurs were a part of the creation that we read of in Genesis, where do they fit in the history of man? Have men and dinosaurs coexisted? Did dinosaurs and men walk the earth together before the biblical flood of Noah's fame? If so, wouldn't Noah have taken some of them aboard the ark? and if Noah did take them aboard the ark, why don't we have any of them in existence today? Here at Tomorrow's World, we believe the Bible, and we believe that all life was created by the God of the Bible, but on today's program, I'm going to show you from the Bible that young earth creationists are wrong. Stay tuned! Welcome once again to Tomorrow's World. On today's program we are going to examine the biblical evidence for the age of the earth. For those of you who watch this program regularly, you know that we do not accept Darwinian evolution for the explanation for the origin of the vast array of plant and animal life found on this planet, and we show evidence from highly educated scientists and scholars for rejecting life evolving by mere chance. So before getting to the biblical evidence for rejecting young earth creationism, let's first look at just one line of evidence for rejecting Darwinism. Charles Darwin had a huge problem from the beginning in trying to convince educated scientists that all life forms were the result of blind chance. For one thing, The fossil record shows the exact opposite, and here's why. According to Darwin, life evolved because myriads of very small changes in various life forms over a very long period of time took place. But the fossil record shows us that everything from trilobites to Tyrannosaurus rex were fully formed, and we see the same thing in today's world, an array of fully developed life forms dogs, cats, and cows all seem to be perfectly complete. We have birds of all kinds and each seems fully functional, but we are told that birds came from reptiles. Now, Simple logic dictates that if evolution was slow and gradual, and that if reptiles evolved into birds, there would be far more transitional fossils than either birds or reptiles from which they evolved. But here's the problem, as Michael Denton explains in Evolution, A Theory and Crisis. But as by this theory, that is, of evolution, innumerable transitional forms must have existed, why do we not find them embedded in countless numbers in the crust of the Earth? These missing transitional fossils were a problem for Darwin from the beginning. While less thoughtful men were more easily persuaded by his assertions, learned scientists of his day immediately recognized there were serious problems, especially when it came to the fossil record. Bill Bryson, a staunch evolutionist, in his book A Short History of Nearly Everything explains, On the Origin of Species was an immediate commercial success, but rather less of a critical one. Darwin's theory presented two intractable difficulties. It needed far more time than Lord Kelvin was willing to concede, and it was scarcely supported by fossil evidence. Where, asked Darwin's more thoughtful critics, were the transitional forms that his theory so clearly called for? If new species were continuously evolving, then there ought to be lots of intermediate forms scattered across the fossil record but there were not. Now in all fairness, Bryson has a footnote alleging that a transitional form had been discovered in another part of the world at that time. Archaeopteryx seemed to be a creature halfway between a bird and a dinosaur. It had feathers, but it also had teeth. But even here Bryson admits that this find was both controversial and woefully inadequate to prove Darwin's thesis. It was an impressive and helpful find, and its significance much debated, but a single discovery could hardly be considered conclusive. So where are these missing links? We see dinosaurs. We see thousands of strange extinct species. We see more modern species, but each species is complete in itself, and contrary to assertions, there is no hard evidence that one kind ever became a different kind. While we readily admit that a great number of varieties can be bred within a particular kind, for example, there are many different breeds of dogs, but all breeds of dogs are still dogs. The many thousands of fossils linking one kind to another kind simply are not there. Scientists have been looking for the quote missing link as though there was only one for decades, and still haven't found it. But if evolution were true, the entire geologic landscape should be filled with hundreds of thousands of intermediary links. Consider, we are not looking for a single link between man and some ape-like creature but thousands of links between thousands of different kinds. What is so deceptive is that science students are shown geologic trees showing various kinds going from simple to complex, but each kind on the tree is already a complete creature, and there is no such thing as simple when it comes to life. But where are the fossils? Where is the hard evidence showing how one kind got to be a different kind. We would expect to find a continuous thread of life from one kind to another in the fossil record, but we don't. Where they are found is in the imagination of men's minds. The intermediates are simply not there. They don't exist. Again quoting Denton, The overall picture of life on earth today is so discontinuous, the gaps between the different types so obvious that as Stephen Stanley reminds us in his recent book, Macroevolution, if our knowledge of biology was restricted to those species presently existing on earth, we might wonder whether the doctrine of evolution would qualify as anything more than an outrageous hypothesis. Without intermediates or transitional forms to bridge the enormous gaps, which separate existing species and groups of organisms, the concept of evolution could never be taken seriously as a scientific hypothesis. But how can this be? How could our modern, supposedly enlightened and scientific world come to believe so strongly in an unproven theory? As Denton explains, Changing one's interpretation of the world is not, however, the same as establishing a new fact. The facts were the same in 1850 as they were in 1870. Only the perception of them had changed. Over time, what was recognized as theory, even metaphysics or philosophy, was accepted and reinforced before all the facts were in. There was faith that in the course of time thousands and even millions of missing links would be found, but time has proved otherwise. In the same way, when it came to soft tissue as opposed to bones left on the ground, biologists had no understanding of the complexity of the cell. Even today, biology students hear terms such as a simple cell, when no such thing exists. In 1850 this was understandable, and faith and blind chance could be excused, but with advanced knowledge of the structure of cellular life, faith and blind chance has become blind faith. This, however, has not awakened people to discard the irrational. The more that people were taught evolution, the more the unproven theory was accepted, and continues to be accepted. As Denton explains, The fact that every journal, academic debate, and popular discussion assumes the truth of Darwinian theory tends to reinforce its credibility enormously. This is bound to be so because, as sociologists of knowledge are at pains to point out, the plausibility of any theory or worldview is largely dependent upon the social support it receives rather than its empirical content or rational consistency. Thus, the validity of Darwinian theory could not even conceivably be wrong. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. Sadly, just as today's evolutionists have been guilty of carelessly accepting false assumptions to explain all the amazing and remarkable life forms found past and present, so young earth creationists have built their worldview on incorrect assumptions of what they think the Bible says. They assume from a casual reading of the scripture that the earth and the entire universe were created in six literal days about 6,000 years ago. But does the Bible really say this? On the surface, it does. Notice what it says in Exodus, the 20th chapter, and in verse 11 For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. On the surface, young earth creationists appear to stand on solid ground, at least from the biblical perspective, but here's the problem. Many assume the English word made means the same thing as created, but these scriptures were not originally written in English. Is it possible that there is more to these passages than first meets the eye? Is it possible that a careless assumption has been made? Why did the English language translators say, In six days the Lord made, instead of, In six days the Lord created the heavens and the earth? Details are often lost when translating from one language to another, whether it be Hebrew to English, English to Cantonese, or Cantonese to Hindi. Nevertheless, the English translators do understand that there are two separate Hebrew words involving this subject, and that brings us to the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 1. Here we have the word created instead of made, where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word in this verse translated created is originally the Hebrew word, bara, b-a-r-a, whereas the English word made is translated from the Hebrew aso or yassar. Now this is no small difference. Without getting too complicated, let's see how the very highly respected theological word book of the Old Testament describes the difference. The root bara has the basic meaning to create. It differs from yassar to fashion, in that the latter primarily emphasizes the shaping of an object, while bara emphasizes the initiation of the object. In other words, bara means the very beginning of something. Genesis 1 verse 1 tells us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Nothing physical existed prior to their creation. Today scientists tell us the universe was created by a big bang. As almost everyone today understands, matter is made up of atoms, and atoms are made up of even smaller particles, if we can even use the term particle in relation to atoms. The current belief among scientists is that the entire material universe was once concentrated into a space much smaller than the dotting of an eye. As Bill Bryson brings out, the Big Bang that created everything that we see and feel, everything that we call matter, everything that exists began from nothing. And so, from nothing, our universe begins. Most surprisingly, the Bible and science agree on this point. Genesis 1, verse 1 tells us that there was a beginning to matter as most scientists affirm. Now continuing with the theological word book on the definition of bara and the Hebrew word describing this beginning, the word lends itself well to the concept of creation ex nihilo, meaning from nothing. While the Bible is not intended to be a science textbook, it does give some amazing insight regarding this subject. Nearly 1900 years ago, the apostle Paul wrote the following in Hebrews the 11th chapter and verse 2. By faith we believe that the things that are made were created out of things not seen. As we can see we have two very different words. When translated into English one means create as from nothing. And the other means to fashion or make something out of pre-existing material. Other languages would obviously use their own words, but it is evident from the original language that there is a fundamental difference in meaning. Now let's look at how the word book contrasts the two words. The use of bara in the opening statement of the account of creation seems to carry the implication that the physical phenomena came into existence at that time and had no previous existence in the form in which they were created by divine fiat. The use of asa may simply connote the act of the fashioning of the object involved in the whole creative process. In other words, Genesis 1, verse 1 tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, but verse 2 indicates something happened after the original creation. Again the English obscures the meaning a little when it used the verb was instead of became as it is used elsewhere and the earth was or became without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep the words without form and void in the original hebrew are used only here and in two other passages of scripture and those other two occasions are describing massive destruction as a result of sin. The word translated without form is found in 16 additional verses, and in each case it is used in a negative context of something that is totally worthless, empty, or in a state of confusion. Yet God tells us in Isaiah the 45th chapter in verse 18 that He did not create the earth in a state of confusion. Now with this in mind, we ought to wonder why and how the earth came to be in the condition we read of in Genesis 1, verse 2. Does the Bible tell us? Yes, it does. In Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 12, we read of a rebellion by a powerful angelic being. In effect, he tried to take over the rule of the universe from the One who created him. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning! How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations! For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars or the angels of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. This rebellion is also spoken of in Ezekiel, the 28th chapter. In this chapter, we first read of the prince of the city of Tyre. This was the human ruler. But beginning in verse 12, it speaks of the king of Tyre. And it is evident from the context that this is not talking about a human leader, but the spirit power behind the human leader. We'll pick it up in verse 14. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created, till iniquity was found in you. Therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. It was only after this rebellion And the destruction it caused, that we come to Genesis, the first chapter and verse 3, where God began to reshape and refashion the earth. The dinosaurs and their world had come to an end, and it was time for God to recreate a very different world out of the destruction and decay of Satan's rebellion. Not only does the Bible describe such events, But scientists also know that there was a great cataclysm that came upon the earth which destroyed the Jurassic Age dinosaurs. Yes, there were great creatures that once roamed the world, and they suddenly died off. What we read in the remainder of Genesis 1 is a reshaping and refashioning of the earth. This was, and is, a very different world from that of the dinosaurs, man and tree-sized reptiles could not coexist, and science indicates that we have not. By the time man came on the scene, the Jurassic world had been destroyed. Young Earth creationists tried to explain all the strata laid down layer upon layer with all the fossils found in it as a result of the Noatian flood. But few credible scientists will give even the least attention to such thinking, and for good reasons. Let's list just a few. A universal flood 4,000 years ago doesn't explain a world filled with dinosaurs. Further, the geologic record shows no evidence of man and dinosaurs coexisting. Scientific dating techniques show the earth is much older than 6,000 years, and while we might quibble about how accurate radiocarbon, potassium argon, or other dating methods truly are, If we put aside a preconceived bias, we have to admit the earth is significantly older than young earth creationists claim. Further, the time it takes light to travel from distant stars also indicates a much older age. And lastly, as seen from the Bible, there was a world in existence prior to the creation of man. There is much the Bible does not tell us, and scientific theories come and go, but there are also points of agreement with the Bible and science. Science tells us that the earth is many millions of years old, and the Bible does not disagree with this. The Bible does not indicate exactly how old the earth is. We should neither take current scientific thinking to be the final answer, nor should we totally discount everything in science. Where there is hard evidence, we should accept it, but where man-conceived theories such as Darwinian evolution are promoted as supported by hard evidence, when they are not, we would do well to discard the theory. Now if you would like to learn more about today's topic, go to our website that will be shown momentarily where you can read or download our booklet, The Real God, Proofs and Promises. There is a creative intelligence that has designed all life on this earth. That intelligence is alive. Darwin is dead. And young earth creationists are wrong. See you next time, right here. If you would like to discover more about how this topic impacts your life, Visit us online at www.lcgcanada.org to read our featured literature free of charge. The preceding program has been produced by the Living Church of God.